Hey, this is Alan from Praise. So glad that you are checking out this message from our Sunday morning service. We're right in the middle of a series about the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is we're reading about how the Holy Spirit has moved in ages past in order to better understand how he might move today in unique ways where our world might be primed for him to move in our midst. We're calling it the Holy Spirit, rethinking the spirit of our age. Thank you again for checking it out. And I just believe that God's going to move uniquely in your life as a result. God bless. Um, first things first, uh, I know you're probably still like you're right on the edge of your seat. Last week I told you I had to cut down uh, an ash tree because it had ash bores in it. And so you're wondering right now, how did it go? How did it go? I mean, I'm still here. So that's like the first win right there. So I have a picture that showed this to you last week. This is the tree. Uh, that tree right there is 60 foot, 60 foot tall. The tree is 40 foot from my house. So if you do the math, there's opportunity for 20 foot of stupid. Okay, so, so like the first thing I did, you know, I just got my ax. Had it down in about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I was, no, 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 no. So I called my buddy Justin Harris, which um, Justin Harris, like I'm looking at this thing and I, I do realize there's a lot of opportunity for this thing to go bad. And, and so Justin's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this and it's going to fall right there and on the mark, like hit it on the dot. He's like, and then we're going to take this and it's going to fall right there. And then he did, it, we're going to cut that part and it's going to fall right there. And now it's time for us to take down the tree because my chainsaw top, I mean, the, the base of that tree, it doesn't look like it, but it's 36 inches across. Okay. So it's about that big. It's a big tree. And, and my, the bar on my biggest chainsaw is 20 inches. So it's like, hmm. So thankfully, Justin was there, and he did the vast majority of the work. And I said, man, you are doing such a good job as he was cutting it down. Uh, but then once the tree was down, the deal was he was supposed to get it on the ground, and then I was supposed to cut it up and, and deal with it. Um, and so I, I, once the tree was down, we were, we were cutting on this thing, and I realized I couldn't. I mean, the thing was so big. It took us three and a half hours just to get the thing on the ground. And then once it was on the ground, I spent the rest of the day cutting this thing up. And, and uh, Justin did the vast majority of the work. Super awesome. Justin Harris, if you need a tree cut down, talk to Justin Harris. Um, he's the man. So, um, but uh, as part of that, so I spent the rest of the day cutting it up, putting the brush in the fire, doing the whole thing. So, so here is a picture of the tree now. We'll deal with the stump. It's coming. But that's it right now. Turns out I counted the rings right, if I counted the rings right, that it's about 70 years old. Super sad. But the ash borers had gotten into it. Um, the wood was still good. It was still living. Um, and, and so, like, the, the, the wood is burnable. I'll use it in my fireplace and... Um, but actually, there was a guy who showed up. He heard the chainsaws going, and so he shows up at my house, and he's like, hey, can, I, he thought that maybe it was like linemen or whatever doing work around the utilities, and, and he goes, man, I, I'll take the wood. And I said, man, I would love for you to cut this tree up and take it, but I'm telling you right now, you don't, you don't want it. I can't let this off the property because of the ash borers. So I told you last week about the ash borers, 
If you don't know, and I, I wanted to show you what it actually looks like because I explained it to you. The ash board bores into the tree, and it doesn't go deep into the wood, but just on the inside of the bark, it bores up and down the tree and just eats at it. So here's a picture of what every bit of that tree looked like. You can see the bores as they're kind of just, they're, they're chewing their way through. So they get just under the skin, just under the bark of the tree, and they eat all the way around it. So that tree was dead. It seemed like it was alive. It was dead. It just didn't know it yet. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm bummed that I had to take it down. There's no doubt that I had to. I probably could have given it a couple more years, but it was dead, and it would have fallen at some point. So that was my Friday, Friday morning. And then Saturday, I'm also building a retaining wall at my house, a little retaining wall for a project. And, and so, like, this is the first time in, like, three days I'm not sweating, Okay, so like, and I'm, if you see, like, I'm, I'm walking a little stiff. That's, that's part of it. it. It was a big, hard weekend, lots of work, and, and I'm sore. And I'm glad to be here in the air conditioning, praise the Lord. I'm glad to be with you diving into scripture um, and uh, talking, because that, that's physically a little less strenuous. Um, but I am excited to continue with our Holy Spirit series. Um, if, if you don't know, we're about halfway through the series that's just called The Holy Spirit. Um, we're, we're not trying to be creative here, Reca uh, rethinking the spirit of our age. But, but we're about halfway through. Normally when you get halfway through, that's the dangerous spot. The halfway through is when people kind of start tuning you out. Happens in the sermon, happens in a series. At the beginning, everybody's excited. You're, you're doing new covering new ground. Uh, by the time you get to the end, you've got the punch, you know. But when you're right in the middle... That's where people kind of go, hmm, 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 hmm. So this is the dangerous point. So here's what we're going to do today. What we had been doing was we just started on the very far left of uh, Scripture, and then we just started working our way through it. Um, and we're going to have to skip some today because I want to get to probably um, the most important 40-ish years in human history. The most important 40-ish years in human history. And so we're going to go back in the, in the next couple of weeks. We'll cover a few things that we're skipping. But right now, I want to dive into the most important 40-ish years in history. So turn to the book of Luke. Turn to the book of Luke. And you might just have to follow along today, seeing as the message notes aren't there. You're going to have to just pull out your physical Bible or digital Bible and just do your best to follow along. I have been known to wander while I preach. And so they tell me, stop it. But I don't stop it. I keep doing it. I think this is why they put a bookcase right here, and they put a table right here. It's kind of like to hem me in. You can't go too far that way. You can't go too far that way, because the poor camera operators, but then even worse than that, like the lighting on the stage is in one area in particular. And so if I kind of step away from the lighting, then all of a sudden, if I wander, nobody can see me very well anymore. It looks even worse on the cameras, but just in general, like when you get out of the light, the attention is not as easy to stay on you. But when you step back into the light, then everybody can see my face better. And that's why this area of the stage is lit well. It is lit for this moment in the service. This is the center stage. 
This is the moment where all attention is here. And that's what today's message is called. Center stage. The most important 40 years in history is the life and death of Jesus. It changed everything. And I think if there is anything we might be guilty of, it is underestimating the impact of what Jesus Christ's life and death did. These 40 years, 40-ish years right there is when God became man. It is the center of all, the center of history. Everything before it points to it. Everything after it lives in its shadow. This is the center stage. What I want to do today, though, is something a little different. Instead of just sharing a message with you, what I want to do is I want to read from the center of history every occasion where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. I'll just focus on one gospel, because otherwise we'll be here till 5 p.m. So we'll just start with Luke. We'll do Luke. We'll focus in Luke. But we are going to read every verse in Luke where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And I just want to see how the Holy Spirit moved in the center of time. So we're just going to start on the left of Luke, and we're going to read all the times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So you're going to have to keep up. There's going to be a lot of reading, and we're going to jump around a little bit, okay? So let's start in Luke chapter 1. Every verse, and probably a little bit of context around it, where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, and this is the very beginning, right? This is the the prophecy of John the Baptist's coming. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. I better read faster. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. This is how you know John the Baptist was A.G. He will be filled with... He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will be, I'm sorry, come on, this is the verse. This is the one that's important. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. And he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So this is what we're doing. Simple, right? Like we're reading every occasion where the Holy Spirit shows up. So once very clearly talking about the Holy Spirit. The second time I think is still talking about the Holy Spirit. It says that he will be uh, strong in the spirit or he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Probably still talking about the Holy Spirit, but it might just be talking about his own inner strength provided by the Spirit. Not entirely sure. I read it anyways just to be careful. Okay, so two occasions right here at the beginning where the Holy Spirit comes up. We don't have to go far to get to the next one. It's on the same page on mine. Uh, Just skip down to Luke chapter 1, verse 31. This is now the announcement, another angelic announcement, this time to Mary. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her own age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. So the, whole, the, the angel tells her, hey, listen, you're going to have a child. Um, it's going to be the Holy Spirit who overshadows you, and that is how the child will be conceived. If you don't understand how that works, let me just really quick explain to you that I don't either. <laughs> I will say this. The language that's used there of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary is very similar to the language that's used when we started this series off in Genesis where the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, when the earth was formless and without, with void. I mean, it was nothing, and yet the Holy Spirit in the chaos called creation out of it. And here in the same way, some way, the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and creates within her life. So I don't know exactly how it works, but it works. The beginning not of creation, but of re-creation in Jesus Christ. So Mary responds, does all that, and then verse 39. I'm just going to keep reading because the Holy Spirit shows up again. A couple more verses. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So John is filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. But then on top of that, Elizabeth, because of this moment, um, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And she begins to prophesy over Mary. And then Mary prophesies back. We're going to skip all of that um, because I want to get to the next occasion. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. This is then after John is, is born and Zechariah hasn't talked for a really long time. And then he says his name will be John as he writes it down. And then as soon as he does, his mouth is opened and he begins to prophesy. Verse 67, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. I wish I could read the whole thing. I don't have time. Skip down to verse 80. John grew up and became strong in the Spirit. Again, not 100% sure this is talking about the Holy Spirit, but probably is. And so again, just for the sake of uh, making sure I don't miss any, this I also wanted to read. Verse 80, John grew up and became strong in the Spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Okay, now I, I know we're moving fast. We're going to do a cut scene over to Jesus. Jesus is born. He comes, or is brought into the temple. John, or Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Same page for me. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly awaiting or waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, 
Simeon was there. He took the child. I probably could stop here, but I, it's, I, I can't do it. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Um, so, so, again, I probably could have stopped there, but this is so good, I just couldn't leave it behind. He prophesies over Jesus. Skip down to chapter 3. How you doing? Keeping up? Cool. I don't really care. I'm going to keep going anyways. Uh, John, or Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, this is now later. John is baptizing in the Jordan. And um, people are wondering, is he the Messiah? John, or Luke chapter 3. Why do I keep saying John? Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Hugely important verse. Hugely important verse. But John says, I'm not who you want me to be. I'm telling you I'm not the Messiah. There will be one who will come, and what I do with water, he will do with the Holy Spirit. And that will be a totally different thing. Okay? All right, skip down now to verse 21. So along comes Jesus one day. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and now right at the beginning of his ministry, the Holy Spirit descends on him in some way like a physical being, uh, like a dove. As John is baptizing Jesus, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends. And then a voice comes from heaven and says, you are my son. You are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. And then immediately, here it's after all the ancestors of Jesus, but immediately chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where it, led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time be, because, sorry, and became very hungry. So as soon as he comes up out of the water, it seems like he leaves. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. During that time, he's fasting and the enemy comes to him and tempts him, mentions three specific temptations, but it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus out into the wilderness where he was tempted. Okay, now skip down to verse 14, same chapter. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. So this is after the temptation. He returns to Galilee. Some of you are, I'm losing you. I can hear you. I know it's a lot. It's a lot. We're in chapter 4. There's 24 chapters. <laughs> Stay with me. Verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. 
Have you ever thought about that? Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. And he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. And then the Holy Spirit leads him back into Galilee. And he starts speaking in their synagogues. And one day he goes to Nazareth. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. Sorry, read that part. Verse 16. You don't need me to read it again. Verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home... He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Things go sour. They try to run him out, throw him off a cliff. He walks right back through them. On that day. But what starts it all is the reading of a scroll where he applies Isaiah chapter 61 to himself. And he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, again, we're in Luke chapter 4. And so I would understand if right now you were be getting nervous. Because we've, there's 24 chapters in Luke, right? You're reading, you're like, okay. Man, are we going to get out of here by 3 p.m.? I don't mean, maybe. I don't know. Here's what I will say. Something weird happens here. Luke chapter 5. Nothing. Luke chapter 6. No Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 7. Nada. Luke chapter 8. Still no Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 9, still not there. Luke chapter 10, he is mentioned again. In Luke chapter 10, um, I'm going to go to verse 21. Before I do, let me set it up by reading Luke chapter 9, verse 51. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry now. Because what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, this is right after the, uh, not the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? So Jesus gets changed, transformed, comes down, and it says he heads towards Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he comes down from the mountain. He's going towards Jerusalem. He gathers his 72, and he sends them out ahead of him. Okay? Tells them to do a bunch of stuff, prepare the way for him. Every city he's planning on going into is what it says. So they come back to him. They're stoked because really cool things happen. And Jesus tells them that they should be more excited, that their names are written in, the, in heaven than anything else. And then he says to them in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At the same time, Jesus was, here's, here's, he didn't say to them. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the, whole, or with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, 
O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. This is the next time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned, when Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, he starts talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. These aren't actions of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. So the next one is in Luke chapter 11, the very next chapter, verse 11. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do not give them a snake instead. Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he talks about the Holy Spirit, and he says, God's going to give you a good gift if you ask for that good gift. Now, really interesting. I got time. Really interesting. You won't see it on the screen, but if you skip down to verse 20 of chapter 11, here he talks about, he says, but if I am casting out demons by the power of God, that phrase, power of God, if you've got, if you're like an old school King James guy, um, it says probably the finger of God, because that's the literal. It says the finger of God. Luke translates here the finger of God, what Matthew, Mark refer to as the Holy Spirit. So Luke decides not to use the phrase Holy Spirit, but he's referring to the Holy Spirit when he says the finger of God. It just a, I didn't want to skip that because it is talking about the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't actually say Holy Spirit, but we'll keep, keep reading. Go to Luke chapter 12, verse 10. Luke chapter 12, verse 10. This is now after. This is when some people accuse Jesus of driving out demons by the power of demons. And he says to them, that makes no sense. But worse, you better be real careful because Luke chapter 12, verse 10, anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes it, the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Then he continues on and he talks to the disciples. And when you, the disciples, are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So I'm not going to stop there, but then the Holy Spirit disappears again. He's not in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. You get to Luke chapter 24, right at the end, after Jesus dies, is raised again, he's speaking to the disciples, and he says, and now, verse 49 of chapter 24, verse 49, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. That's it. You just read every occasion in the book of Luke where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 18 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Luke. Of those 18 times, 12 are in the first four chapters. 12 of the 18 first four chapters. The Holy Spirit is super active, doing everything. He's filling. He's conceiving. He is anointing. He is descending. 
He is doing everything in the first four chapters. And then, as soon as Jesus' ministry starts, the Holy Spirit disappears. Now, Jesus was doing a lot of stuff during that time. If you go back, I mean, let's just start in chapter 5. I'm not going to read them all because otherwise you guys seriously would just go ahead and leave. He heals a paralyzed man. He heals on the Sabbath. He teaches. He tells them, love your enemies. He raises a widow's son. He tells a parable of scattering seed. He calms the storm. He heals in response to faith. Jesus is doing a ton of stuff, but the Holy Spirit kind of disappears. Now, here's what's interesting and weird and interesting. Everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you didn't know that, not everybody does. It's really easy to think, well, he was God, so he did all of that because he's God. Well, Philippians chapter 2 actually says that he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant and humbled himself all the way to the point of the cross. And then there are scripture after scripture after scripture that says it was the Holy Spirit that did these things. See, sometimes we think that when it says that the Holy Spirit was doing these things in Jesus— We think of it like, I don't know if you heard the news this week, the FDA. Did you guys hear about phenylephrine? Okay, cool. Super exciting. It's not really that exciting. It's kind of funny and then also sad and then a little interesting. But the FDA on Monday and Tuesday met. Phenylephrine was back in 2006, Sudafed, um, Benadryl, Uh, Advil, any sort of oral decongestion up to 2006 used um, pseudofedrin as the active ingredient. Like the active ingredient is the thing that's actually supposed to affect your biology, right? And so up until 2006, pseudofedrin was the active ingredient in all of these nasal decongestions. So if you had allergies or you had a flu or if you got a bad cold, and you took a decongestion prior to 2006, it was pseudofedrin. That was what, you, what was the active ingredient in that. But right around that same time, people were going to all the drugstores and Walmarts and buying literally all the pseudofedrin they could in order to turn it into meth. Okay? So the government said, hey, you can't do that. Please stop. And then they took all of the pseudofedrin and they put it behind the counter. You can still get it. But it was behind the counter. So, of course, sales plummeted. So all your Benadryl and Advil and Tylenol, Dayquil, NyQuil, all of those decided to change the active ingredient in all of the nasal decongestants. Any sort of oral nasal decongestant, I can say it, went from pseudofedrin to paralephrin. Did I say that right? Phenylephrin. Okay. Since 2006, it's been phenylephrine. If you've taken any Advil, Tylenol, Benadryl, anything, since 2006, it's been phenylephrine. On Tuesday, the FDA released, turns out phenylephrine doesn't do anything. (laughs) 
sorry. For the last 17, 18 years, you've been living a lie. It didn't do anything for you. You thought it did, but it didn't. Turns out, if you believed it, then your body would be like, oh man, this is great. I feel so much better now. Totally decongested. But the FDA said, nah, yeah, no, it turns out it doesn't do anything, sorry. So it's kind of a big deal, right? That's how some people view the Holy Spirit and Jesus in this. Like the Holy Spirit's the active ingredient, but it's really Jesus doing this stuff. And it's a big deal that some people view it that way. And, and I'll get to why in just a moment. But what Scripture says is that literally everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you just real quick. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus healed, Acts 10.38. He healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He drove out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. You can read these another time. You can write them down. You can look them up. Feel free. I'm not going to read them all right now. Jesus rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Jesus taught his disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Everything Jesus did was by the power of the Holy Spirit, which was why when he was accused of doing it by the power of demons, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Be real careful. You are on shaky ground because you are taking what the Holy Spirit is doing through me and giving it to Satan. You are real close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that's a dangerous business because he's the only connection you have. Everything Jesus did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. So wait a second. If that's the case, and that's what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, I'll read it real quick. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. If it was all by the power of the Holy Spirit, why in the world isn't he mentioned? Why does he disappear? If in reality, all along, Jesus was doing all of those things by the same Holy Spirit that is offered to you and to me, if it was the same Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary and created life inside of her womb, why does the Holy Spirit disappear from the narrative in Luke chapter 4? Why? Why does it, in spite of the fact that it's the Holy Spirit doing this through Jesus, or Jesus doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, however you want to say it, if that's the case, why does it not point out the Holy Spirit? For the first four chapters, the Holy Spirit is center stage. He is doing everything. And then all of a sudden, you get to Luke chapter 4, and as soon as Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit and starts his ministry, the Holy Spirit steps out of the light. Isn't that interesting? Well, for this, 
to understand it, you have to go and see John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15. Here's what Jesus said. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and this is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The Holy Spirit will bring Jesus glory. The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus Christ. If there is ever a moment where you're like, is that the Holy Spirit or not? Ask, does it glorify Jesus Christ? Because as soon as Jesus Christ is anointed, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's shy. He's not shy. But he knows that there is one path to the Father, Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit lifts the Son up and says, this is the way. Everyone, be drawn to him. So Jesus is lifted up because the Holy Spirit does not crave the spotlight. He's good not being center stage. Which leads me to my first thought. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Boy, I feel like I got a song coming up. <laughs> he does not tell you what he is doing in other people. I don't know what he did in you this week. Sometimes he... He tells me, he says, hey, I'm doing something in this person. And, and he tells me that sometimes. But most of the time, I have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives. But he is doing something. And most of us, most of the time, have no idea. But just because you cannot see it doesn't mean he's not working. He never stops. He never stops working. Right? So that's my first thought. All right, second one. Now you're going to have to put your thinking caps on because it only gets harder from here. Okay? I actually have a question for you. And it's based on the anointing of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to go back there because this is the moment where everything turns, right? This is the moment where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit... Steps out of the spotlight as Jesus steps into the spotlight and takes center stage. Okay? So I've got a question here, and it's based on this anointing. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Okay, so here's my question. And some of you, I probably would say most of us, have never asked this question. And some of you will look at me and say, Alan, that's a dumb question. And to that I would say, my fourth grade teacher told me there are no dumb questions except those that aren't asked. So here's my question. 
In this moment, when the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus, is the Holy Spirit helping Jesus on his mission? Or is Jesus helping the Spirit fulfill his mission? That's a dumb question. (laughs) Okay, let me take that. Is the Holy Spirit a function of Jesus' mission here? Or is Jesus an aspect of the Spirit's? Do you get what I'm asking? Here's, here's, let's take it. Every time you say Jesus Christ, you know that you are referring both to Jesus and the Holy Spirit here. Uh, That's not totally fair. You are referring to this moment there. Jesus the Christ means Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one, anointed by whom the Holy Spirit. So every time you say Jesus Christ, you are referring to Jesus, the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So every time you say Jesus Christ, you are mentioning both in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And this passage says that the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus to do these things. So another way to ask the question is, if Jesus is the hero of the story, follow me here. If Jesus is the hero, he's the one who's standing center stage. If Jesus is the main character here, which he is, if he's the lead actor, who is the Holy Spirit? If Jesus is the karate kid, who is the Holy Spirit? Is he Mr. Miyagi? Like, is he teaching Jesus, wax on, wax off, and then Jesus goes and kicks Satan in the face, like, if Jesus is the lead, like, would the academy only consider the Holy Spirit for best supporting actor? Do you know what I'm asking here? Like, are you following what I'm asking? If Jesus is the lead, who is the Holy Spirit? And I would say, if Jesus is the lead, then the Holy Spirit is that one writer who's also the director who also plays a part. He's John Favreau in Iron Man and Iron Man 2. He's Ben Affleck in Goodwill Hunting. Writer, director, and also actor. He plays all those places, all those roles. He steps to the center stage when it is necessary, but even when he isn't center stage, he is right in the middle of everything. There are some people who believe, referring back to that finger of God thing, that when it talks about the finger of God, it's talking about the Holy Spirit in Scripture. I'm not sure I'm ready to go fully there, but it does very clearly call the Holy Spirit the finger of God, and that when it refers to the arm of God, it is referring to Jesus, the Word of God. So, There are many who believe that that kind of speaks to Irenaeus' thing that I talked about a few weeks ago. What I would say is this. If the Holy Spirit is the finger of God in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, then his fingerprints are everywhere. All through it. And too many times, we fall into that trap of thinking the Holy Spirit is the active ingredient in Jesus, helping him to do whatever he wanted to do. 
But that's not the way Jesus talked about him. He said, I only want to do what I see the Father doing. And the Spirit anointed him to bring good news. He sent Jesus to set captives free, to open eyes and ears. The Spirit was central to everything Jesus did. Even as Jesus stands at center stage, he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Because Jesus accomplished his mission. But the Holy Spirit is still doing his. And for a while, that was all through Jesus. But then Jesus steps away. And the Holy Spirit remains. And that mission is still ongoing. And next week we'll talk about what some of that looks like. But regardless, I will say this. The Holy Spirit's fingerprints are everywhere. So look for them. Open your eyes. And when you see them, you will know what he has called you to do. So when you see his fingerprints on that person in your circle, or you see his fingerprints in that family member, or you see his fingerprints all over a situation in your neighborhood, or you see his fingerprints at work in your school, and you're like, what in the world is going on? And you recognize that is the fingerprints of the finger of God, the Holy Spirit here. Know that that is his mission for you and that you are to step right into it just as Jesus Christ stepped right into it.